Well, if you haven't been with us, we're going through a study called Aspire, and um, we're in a part of that 15-week um, study that focuses on the church, on the on the church itself, the church's mission, and today we come to a, a topic called strategy. Now, I have to say that um, I, I kind of bristle a little bit when we start to use language that sounds a little business-like, a little uh, professional, worldly kind of business language. Uh, the church is not a business. The Bible never uses the metaphor of the church being a business. So when a word like strategy comes up, I begin to say, okay, now wait a minute. Um, I'm, I'm kind of putting up my, my little defenses until I begin to hear what exactly it is that you're talking about. It is a very important dynamic in the life of a church. Yes, indeed, in the life of any organization. Any organization should begin with what they believe to be very core values. Very core values. We do. We do here. We have three core values. We, we like to talk about um, being biblically entrenched. That is, word. we say word-saturated. I like that word, saturated. I've used it with you many times before. It's like that sponge. It may be dry at the store, but when you take it home and squeeze it a few times under that faucet, it becomes saturated, that we're word-saturated, that we're joyfully reformed. We continue to try and unpack that for folks. Generally speaking, it means that we believe that God is sovereign, that his grace is sovereign in salvation, indeed in every aspect of life. God is providentially sovereign over absolutely every detail and that he is magnified above all. It means many other things, but um, at least it means that that we're word-saturated, that we're joyfully reformed, and that we desire to be a transformational community, asking God to transform us first and then use us to transform where we live and even to the uttermost. And these are not uncommon to many churches. It's the way that we express it, but it's our core values. Those are our core values in which we desire to live out the mission not one of, not our particular one, but now I speak of church with the capital C, the universal church, all over the world from all times. The mission of the church is to make disciples, yea, to make disciples who make disciples. That's the one and only mission of the church. So with these core values and with this mission, though different places seek to carry it out in different ways in a in a strategy and in a vision for that. This morning, I want to talk to you and staying on the topic about strategy, but let's just look over a little bit of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks by way of review. You see, because we cannot detach, this is a huge thing right here, we cannot detach a strategy from the foundation of the mission. And it's done all the time. People don't even talk about it in that kind of language. I understand. It sounds more corporate. It sounds more businesslike. 
but we cannot detach a strategy from the mission itself. Now, some of the foundational things that we said a couple of weeks ago about the church uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, that if we're to be a growing, maturing body in Christ, that we've got to move from knowing that God gives gifts we've preached that a long time and if I'm not careful I'll preach that all over again and then last week all over again and won't have any time for today but just to try and bring back to your mind maturing doesn't mean moving from something that's bad to good but it means hopefully moving from a place that's good to better and so understanding that yes it's a good thing that God gives gifts to people it's a better thing that I live as a gifted person among other gifted people. You see, that's a, that's a step up in maturity, that I am living in the midst as a gifted people, a gifted person with gifted people. But secondly, we said that to move, okay, I know that pastors, elders, teachers, they're supposed to train people, but, and that's a good thing. Once again, it's a good thing but I want to move to longing to be trained myself. I want to search out the best ways in, in order to grow myself. Thirdly, we said that I'm going to move away from self-focusing. This is what a maturing church does. I'm a maturing Christian. I move away from focusing on self to body life. Think about that. That would change the life of our church completely. If each day you woke up in prayer that you ask God to saturate you during that day of thinking about the body of Christ within he, in where he is, he's put you. To think about, literally to think about the person on your left, on your right, behind you, in front of you. That that was your focus. That's different. That's way different. To moving from unity as an end to unity as a means takes a little unpacking don't have the time again today listen to the sermon before but instead of saying hey I just want everybody to get along I, I, I love the ethnic diversity of this church it demonstrates the gospel that's a wonderful thing I think that that ethnicity and, and unity among that diversity why that's a wonderful thing so do I but what we need to understand as we move from something that's good to something that's better is to understand that that unity that that harmony is not an end in itself but it is a means to a greater end and that is the display demonstration and actively proclaiming the gospel unity is not an end in itself it's a means to and and moving from jesus to plus to jesus only and here i gave you a, a jonathan edwards quote but that our our affections would grow and grow toward the person of not just the concept of jesus not to the concept of salvation but to a person and that we would grow in our in our affections for Christ. And then sixth, moving from the pain of remaining where I am to the joy in progress. And it has been said many times that you will not make progress until you recognize that joy is greater than the pain of staying where you are. All of us feel that. Oh, I'm the same as I was yesterday. I haven't progressed at all. It won't be until that pain is overcome by the joy 
of progress that you will actually make that progress. And finally in that sermon, moving from self-love to body love, to actually be active. Show me a church active in loving one another. I'll show you a maturing church. And now I'm not suggesting by listing all these things off again that we're in the negative category and all of these things. It's not true. We are growing. I'm grateful that we are in a maturing church. I'm quickly reminded of many places in which we need to mature much, much further in our understanding and our growing. But we're on the journey. We're not sitting still. We're not stagnant. We're on that move, and we will chase it down. Last week, we talked about the mission. We talked about it from Jeremiah chapter 29 and simply saying that God has taken his people and put them where he wants them to be. And then he said, live there. Don't try and escape. And I, I did some silliness about our snowbirds, who are wonderful, by the way, a great example. If you don't know our snowbirds, and most have all gone back, but when they come back again, take the effort to get to know them. Ask them what they do in the life of their church where they go, and then ask them what they do here. And you're going to find out that many, 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 many of them are active in both places because they're active where God has put them. That's a great thing. He said, though, when you go to that new place, Listen to me and don't assimilate. When I'm asking you to live in Boynton Beach, I'm asking you not to assimilate to Boynton Beach and to all the ways and goings on that's around us. But that we live there, but we we live here, but we listen to the voice of God and not assimilate. Actually, we need to be the infection to them. We need to be the influence to them. The other way around, instead of them to us. And finally, he says, you know, wherever you are and God's asked you to live there, I want you to love those people. I want you to love God and I want you to love those people. I want you to pray for those people. I want you to pray for their prosperity because wherein they are prosperous, you will be prosperous. And it's not a give and take kind of thing. It's a genuine demonstration of the gospel. You love me? You, you, you pray for me? Where else does that kind of thing happen in the world? And so that's our mission, to be that kind of way. I'm over in Luke chapter 8 for just a moment. We're going to come back to Romans. I'm there, but I'm reminded of this illustration and say, all right, pastor, where do you want to go? What are you talking about? All right, that's the review. That's what I don't want to detach from the strategy. I've got those foundational things. I've got that mission thing happening there. But I don't want the strategy that we're about to talk about now detached from that. So that's why I quickly went through that review. And I go over to chapter 8 of Luke for an illustration of it. Still in the introduction. Introduction takes about 25 minutes. The sermon takes it. No. Okay. I'm over in Luke 8. I'm picking it up. Um down in about verse 42 um, just to get the context Jesus has been informed that uh, Jairus's daughter is ill verse 42 for he had only uh, this man Jairus had only had one daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying now the second part of verse 20, 42 begins the next paragraph so take a look as Jesus went the people pressed around him. And there was a woman 
who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Verse 44, she came up behind him, that is Jesus, and touched him, touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. I perceive that power has gone out from me. How was the woman healed? Jesus perceived that power had gone out. And what I want to say to you today, just to make it very, very clear and put this together is, I just went through some very foundational things about a maturing church. I covered a couple of two, three things about the mission of the church. But how is it going to happen? Where is the strategy? Oh, okay. I'll put 17 points up on the screen and we'll talk about the different kinds of strategy. When we're going to meet here. How we're going to list this. The objectives that we're going to go about and do this. And let's just put the strategy just right up here on the screen. Because that's what most of you think about. That's what I would think about. Here's the strategy. And I would suggest to you that that kind of operation disconnects the strategy from the mission. The strategy has to be in the power of the Lord Jesus. The strategy has to be, we have to anchor that. Oh, okay, well, Pastor, I've heard that before. I mean, let's just move on. You got another point? No, I don't. That's the only point I have today. The supernatural power of God. Now, I, I'm, I'm phrasing it in such a way as to say we need to reclaim it. Reclaiming the supernatural power of God as the only strategy for the church. Why do you say reclaiming? Well, I think in a variety of ways it's been stolen. I mean, look at the language, come on. Reclaiming the supernatural power of God. What kind of church am I in? Huh? You heard that language in other places? You know, maybe other places that you don't really agree with the theology about? Um, I have. I've been in places and settings like that when sometimes this language is used and I'm going, oh boy. What's happening here? You know, I know what direction this is going in. But you know what happens? Inadvertently what happens is that not just the language that gets stolen, if you will, but the very heart of the truth, the essence of, of, of the super, in this case, the supernatural power of God. How often do we, I, boy, I, I, I don't know, I've got so many faults I can't list them all, but the, the thought of every time a situation in my life comes up, or a situation in the life of the church, and I think, oh, I know what we need to do. Boom. And how often the supernatural, the dynamic, uh, undefinable power of God needs to be 
at the forefront of what we're thinking. So I want to pursue this with you for just a few minutes from Romans chapter 1. And I just want to, by way of reminder, maybe that's all that today is going to be. Maybe by way of reminder to reclaim the supernatural power of God. To, to remind us. Unless who builds the house? Unless the Lord builds the house. Well, where is he? I don't see him. I don't see a shovel, a hammer in his hand. I mean, we say the verse, and internally you're really saying to yourself, there must be a dynamic, going to use that word because uh, for one reason in, in Acts 1, the power of God that's there, the dunamis is where we get the word dynamic. I don't want to try and connect them by, by straight line. There's too many, history, uh, too many years of history in between those two that make it acronistic, but I don't want to leave behind it either. The dunamis, the power of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, we think there's a dynamic going on there that God, though seated in the heavens, is going to do something in building his church. That's supernatural. That's supernatural dunamis. That's supernatural power. And so my effort today is to say, okay, thank you for the response to the sermons on maturing. Thank you for the response to the sermon on mission. But now, and, and I, I feel like this needs to be a clarion call because except for a few exceptions around the room, we don't live this way. I get to talk to you, and some of you just put me to shame by the, the faith that you have and the Spirit working in you, and I'm so grateful. But by and large, I don't, I don't experience it a great deal. We have become very human about our Christianity. We've become very human about our Christianity. Let's see. Paul wrote to the Romans. I'd love to unpack it for you. I think probably Martin Lloyd-Jones has about 350 pages on these 17 verses. I, I can't do that, obviously. There's many things to be revealed from these 17 verses of Romans. But over and over and over again, I think you're going to see power, the supernatural power of God. And the first place I want you to see it is in the first six verses. So, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that's a nice introduction, but what I want us to be reminded about, and I do this quite often in reminding you that you are a part of it, is that here in this place, when we're seeing the supernatural power of God as being our only strategy, it's revealed in God's plan. 
It's in his plan. We see the supernatural power of God. Do we or do we not? Is it just history? Is it just what we read in the Old Testament or even in some history books? Is it just human history? Or do I look at this and I see even Paul and even Sarah and Linda and Bill and Tom, Henrietta, Phyllis, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called, past tense, to be an apostle set apart for the gospel, which, past tense, he promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures. Do you ever think that in some supernatural, dynamic, eternal way, God called you? That's not human. That's not natural. That is supernatural. That throughout this, he's rehearsing. He brings up David. But according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. Spirit of holiness, resurrection from the dead. Does anybody see supernatural power in these words there's supernatural power all through it and Paul is called and, and, and I folks I just got to tell you I live here now I got a lot of little clicks and ticks and weirdness about me and one of them is, is I live in history I'm an idealist I tell you, I think that I'm connected. I think I'm connected to Adam. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm connected to the guy who lived uh, 50 years ago, who's a believer. I really, I live this, I live like I'm a part of God's plan. And that's supernatural. There's a supernatural calling in that. And if you know him, so are you. So are you. Do you live that way? Do you live? Now, when I say I live that way, it's, it's my framework. It's my worldview. And though I escape it through sin in a variety of ways, I would tell you holistically, that's where I live. Sure, as a 65-year-old, I'm counting the days of how much longer than I'm here. But I do it in a worldview framework that says this world is not all that there is. And that God has a plan and it continues for eternity. That's supernatural. And you and I need to be reminded of that. So that's what I'm doing today. The supernatural power of God is revealed in his plan. Secondly, the supernatural power of God is realized in prayer is realized in prayer. You expect me to say that. Oh, pastor, you're going to talk about God. You're going to talk about prayer. You're going to talk about the Bible. That's what you do every week. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Look. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I could stop right there. I mean, that's prayer, right? It is, and that's what you expect me to say. But here's my point you don't understand it. 
you can't put your finger on it. You can't put your slide rule to it. You can't put your computer to it. There's no computer. No computer out there going to be able to understand the power of prayer. And you don't understand it either. That's fine. Just confess it. We don't understand it. I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand how the television works. I mean, you can talk to me all day until you're blue in the face about wavelengths and, you know, all the HVC. I don't even know how to talk about it. I don't understand. How can a picture over there in China come to me practically almost? I don't understand a lot of things. First, I thank my God through Jesus. Why do you do that, Paul? Why do that? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Uh-oh, there it is. Ooh. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Anybody see supernatural power going on here? in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God he did it. you see that's what I like about Paul every now and then I see a little bit of me in Paul gives me a little bit of encouragement you see what he said asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed to come to you asking by somehow he doesn't even know how the Apostle Paul doesn't really know how it works. And every now and then when I'm feeling extra human and failing to pray, it's fascinating to me the people that God brings to this PhD. I know a little Greek, a little Hebrew, even a little Aramaic, a little French, a little German. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty up there. And uh, Sandy and I have a friend who is not intellectually based. Let's just put it that way. And she's often asking us to pray about something. And we do. And then I get the message back that this is what's happened and that this is what's happened and this is what's happened and that this is what's happened because God is glorified by answering these prayers. And I say, Poof! and I don't understand it. And my faith is increased. And I say that to God. God, I don't understand it. We're praying at 9 o'clock this morning. We're praying for these kinds of things and God is just putting that on me I come with a little bit of struggle God lifts that up because you know what he says it's not what you are it's not what you do it's who I am and what I do and I don't understand it but he is glorified and he's pleased and he's magnified by answering our prayer and real things real things happen now listen you'll never pretty much never hear me say that there's power in prayer because I don't like it because that begins to tip the needle just a little bit too human for me I know I'm quirky but there's power in the God of prayer 
And there's a means by which I can enter that throne room of grace with confidence that whatever I ask in his name, he will do. Why? Because it magnifies him. And that's the point that he's magnified. So you know what? At the end of the day, I don't need to know how it works. I don't. I don't. But I do know that there's supernatural power when we realize that God works through prayer. He really, really does. He really does. Number three, he not only works through, by revealing through his plan, realized in prayer, but the supernatural power of God is imparted through mutual encouragement. Now, this is where our humanness really comes out. Our humanness really comes out. But take a look a little bit further. In verse 11, For I long to see, verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Is anybody feeling more human today than normal like me? What do you mean, human? What do you mean? Well, you know, I can, I can see where we can mutually encourage, well, hey, good job, like you're doing, our words are important, yeah, that kind of thing. You know, but I can do that. I can do that. I can say, hey, Mary, good job today. I, I can handle that, you know? Should we do that? I preached it. We should do that. But you know who can handle that? I can handle that. Interesting thing yesterday to, to illustrate this, imparted through mutual encouragement. And, and, and when I'm saying this is supernatural power, I'm telling a group of us, I don't know how many were out there, 12, 15, 18. I didn't count how many people were out there. And we were out there working yesterday, doing some hard work in the yard and just, you know, sweating up like guys do, you know, digging in the dirt and just, you know, getting all dirty and just, you know, those of us who could, every now and then, the old man have to sit down on the bench and <gasps> drink a little water, you know, because here, you guys can carry this, you know, it's hard work, and I was fading a little bit like that. But I'm sitting there, looking around at these young guys, and some of us more mature guys and I'm being built up by the Spirit I'm being built up by the Spirit you say pastor you're, you're sounding a little weird that's right supernatural power of God is weird it's like unexplainable it's like how is your faith being encouraged by being out here in a group of people doing this kind of thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I could tell you that there's some camaraderie about, you know, working together and seeing how somebody can dig better than you can or however, something like that. Yeah, I, I can see that. No, that's not. There's something in the inner man that says, oh, I am strengthened in the inner man. It's a supernatural power of God that happens when you and I realize 
Okay, back to the foundational that we are gifted people living amongst gifted people and there's something dynamic that cannot be explained about that that we need to be reminded. All too often we'll spend so much time who's going to clean up afterwards? Who's going to set up? Who's going to bring this? Who's going to do that? We're just all the time talking about the human logistics of something. How often is it that we talk about the supernatural power of the giftedness of people, even if they're the ones going to clean up, even if they're the ones that are going to set up, even if they're the ones that are going to do what you normally look at maybe as the mundane things of life, God has given. How often do we attribute the spiritual, supernatural power of God in gifting a person like that, that we're, we're not just cleaned up or set up, we're built up. We're built up. Oh, my friends, we need to be reminded of the supernatural power of God. I do. I do. Finally, in this passage, so much more should be said. But take a look at verses 16 and 17. For he says, for he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The supernatural power of God. Be careful. Oh, be careful. It's close, but close is not good enough. The supernatural power of God is not in the gospel. The supernatural power of God is the gospel. The supernatural power of God is the gospel. Now, if you don't just say it's in it, but it is, then one of my other points, yea, long time ago, maybe all the way back to last week, was this that we need to see the implications of the gospel in everything that we do. And that should be unpacked more, and I'm just going to take a little bit more to, to move that ball. What do you mean by the implications of the gospel in everything that we do? And, and I try and divide it up into just four simple points, but I need to see both in you and in the person not in the room that they're created by God, created for something good. And, and, and that sets my worldview right away off on a certain trajectory to think that everyone around me has been created by God and created good, that the implications of the gospel are that they are, remember I said this, they are fallen just as we are. And then I said, well, wait a minute, what did I say? You remember? Maybe better said is, we are as fallen as they are. That's what I said. 
You see? And the implications of that gospel, when I begin to think through that, that's what you're getting today. You're getting a reminder of the supernatural power. When I begin to think through the fact that I'm fallen, my humility, I humble myself and see that person as someone created, and I have compassion on them and, and their need for the gospel of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my whole worldview is changed. It's different. It's different different but then in the implications of the gospel that I see that the only way out was because God's grace in sending his son to die for me as my substitute to take away the wrath that was on me and put it on him that through that sacrifice God's wrath was satisfied and he demonstrated the acceptance of that satisfaction, that sacrifice, by raising him from the dead. I know it's true because he raised him from the dead. And the Spirit of God comes in and takes this cold heart of stone and he turns it into flesh and enables me to believe and to repent on him. It's the gospel. And this is what Paul is saying is the power of God. This gospel is supernatural. How do you change a heart? Now, there's the part where you probably don't need a lot of convincing. I would say probably every person in this room, if I were to ask you, can you save somebody else? You would say no. Can that person save themselves? You would say no. You recognize that God has to do something here. It is the power of God. What you don't recognize as readily, what I don't recognize as readily as we should, is that the implications of this gospel is for the believer. It's for me today. It's for me tomorrow. What do you mean? Well, to be reminded that God has created me and created me to reflect his glory. That every day I prove to myself that I'm a fallen creature because of this issue or that challenge or this sin or that iniquity but that I need to be reminded that it is the grace that saved me is also the grace that will sanctify me. It's the grace that will take me on and that there is no condemnation, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. These are the implications of the gospel. This is what I mean when I say the implications of the gospel. And we need to be reminded that this does not happen by human ability. And yet we are not heads. We are stoneheads because we think that, okay, God saved me, now I've got to work it out myself. And so we humanly do it. And by doing so, we leave behind the supernatural power of God. Folks, there is nothing this church needs more than the supernatural power of God. There is nothing. We, we, we who weren't here in 1925, 35, and on through the years that this church has been in existence are no different than our ancestors in many ways. We desperately need the supernatural power of God in our midst. You know, I just bear with me for the close. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I, is it where was it, chapter eight? Chapter eight. This is such an interesting lesson to me. 
chapter 8, I read after 42, diseased woman came after 12 years. She came, verse 44. Look at that. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of it. What is going on in this woman's mind? I don't really know. But at least a part of the indication seems to be that she thinks that there's some power that she doesn't she doesn't know how it works tap into I, she's not named often that's an indicator that this is an incidental person maybe in scripture crowd all around him people bumping into him he's trying to get through the narrow streets somebody touched me Peter's like somebody like a hundred people just touched you but there was one in there that that God today right now wants you and me to know about so he put it in his word that a woman believed there was supernatural power to be had for her condition. Do you? Do you? Yeah, you do. You come week after week. I think that you do. Do you as much as you should? No, you don't. It's not the air that you breathe. It's not the words that you speak. It's not the thoughts that you think. It's not as much as it should be. If I intellectually sat you down and said, do you believe in the supernatural power of God, pretty much everybody in the sound of my voice is going to say yes. But is it our life? Is it the air that we breathe? Is it that which we are depending upon in the next days and weeks and months in the life of this church? Well, that's why I'm bringing it to you today. It needs to be. If ever in the life of this church, it needs to be today. It needs to be now. God, we need you, and we're not going to look anywhere else but to you. Pray with me. Lord, that's my confession. And Lord, you know that I am the chief of sinners here. I love to talk about the details and logistics and the, the problems and, and the strategies. And, and God, we just need you. We, we need the supernatural power that reminds us that we're part of your plan. We need the supernatural power that's realized as we speak to you and listen to you in prayer. God, we need the supernatural power that you have gifted with the person on my right and the person on my left, that I see them as gifted people by your supernatural power of your Holy Spirit. God, we need the power of your gospel. And until we fall in absolute surrender 
to our inability to create these things on our own, we will not prosper in your sight. God, send your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent so many times before, to revive your people, to bring spiritual revival, to send that, that person to work in and through us to accomplish your good purpose. God, even as I, I pray this, the deadness, the stupor that seeks to bring this to, to null effect, God, I pray that because of that, you would break through so that when it is done, no human could say, it's because I did this or I did that. God, do that which only you can do. In Jesus' name.